This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouths of the South podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer. Not in the palatial 680 of the fan studios, but in our respective homes. It's Eric Quintana, Sam Franco, Josh Bagrianski coming to you from the apartments, the casas, into the laptops, through the microphones. Gentlemen, how's it going? Living the dream right now, man. You know, we, uh, we've got Atlanta United uh, coming up on Saturday, so it'll be good to get the, get the boys back on the field and, uh, and see what improvements they've made from, uh, from MLS's back. Uh, and, and even since MLS's back has been over, uh, you know, there's been uh, some games. We saw Nashville and um, Dallas play two games, and then uh, last night you had that Toronto game where uh, Pablo Piatti kind of uh, announced himself to the league as the, as the uh, kind of – newest designated player so toronto might have a guy there josh are you, guys, things. are you guys mentally in a game space yet like it's still no. he doesn't feel like yeah there's a mat like i don't know it's gonna be crazy though it's gonna be crazy because there's so much we don't know like going into this like period of games uh and it's it's just gonna be i mean in some ways i'm excited for it because it's a blank slate in so many ways well let me give you a, a stat that might warm your heart as an atlanta united fan maybe mm-hmm. maybe make you feel less bad about atlanta united atlanta united officially not the only team to not have scored since the restart of mls yes we did it it's us in dallas what's up there we go i was go. about to say it was like <laughs> dallas has been a dumpster fire and it's not it's just us in dallas it's not just the fact that they've not been able to score goals but they're also booing their own team at their home stadium so it's just been a real good go of things for dallas this uh, 2020 mls season yeah definitely not a good look uh before we start we want to give a shout out to our sponsor lucid fc uh proud spot sponsor of the mouths of the south podcast distinctly distinctively modern clothing line based right here in atlanta lucid fc reflects a deeply british american heritage design approach uh to fashion uh to, to clothing they promote uh freedom of fashion gender and role brand's iconic logo is immediately recognizable i've mean, seen a lot on instagram and uh, i think a lot of snapchat now um make a lot of pants outerwear Hats, shirts, hoodies. Big fan of the hoodies and the hats. Ask me what the FC and Lucid FC stands for, gentlemen. What does the FC footwear stand for? And clothing. Perfect match for fans of football clubs. Uh, go check them out, lucidfc.us. Uh, you can get a – there's a promo code. If you uh, put in DSS in the promo code, uh, you'll get a certain percent off. Uh, go check them out, lucidfc.us, and if nothing else, go check out their masks so you're staying safe during this uh, during this global pandemic. All right, that um, was a good read, Eric. That's one of your better oh, reads. Thank you. Good job, thank man. you. It only took me a year and a half, Very or whatever. Proud it's, of you. Whatever it's been. <laughs> well, you know, we've got a professionally edited intro now. We all <laughs> yeah. said because we have. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've done that. I, I, I've edited this thing together about I don't know at least three hundred times now, and. I this I think that's the first time that's ever happened where I completely forget to drown out the uh, or to or to fade out the uh, the intro music which it was brought to my attention the next day and I was like ah you know what they can if it's not that bad I'm they're just gonna deal with it I'm not. This going is back three minutes this. you know no big deal. <laughs> the first three minutes the most important right. three minutes of any podcast. Um, all right so yeah as as you guys mentioned earlier we got a, a Nashville I think I coming up against Nashville and um, if you've watched the last two Nashville matches um, 
And then you take into consideration everything um, that you've heard behind the scenes when it comes to Atlanta United, um, when it comes to Steven Glass and how he's kind of connected with these players. Um, it's, it's a, uh, I'm with you, Josh. I don't know. I don't quite know what to expect uh, from, from Atlanta United in this, in this, you know, in the next six games within this kind of uh, group that we've been placed in. I don't really know what to expect because I, I as much as I want to see this, uh, you know, more 2017, 2018 type of Atlanta United, I, I don't think that as much as I think that Nashville is a good opponent to go up against because at least on paper and, and theoretically they, as a, as they don't know what to expect either as, yeah, as an expansion team, yeah. you'd think they'd be the easier opponent to kind of start this off with. Um, I don't think they're going to be necessarily as as bad or as disorganized as maybe they were in the first game in this in the, what the, would be their third game, and I don't think that they're as disorganized as we might think of as an. Uh, we, normally, a, a traditional expansion team is rather disorganized early on. Look at FC Cincinnati, and um, I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're they're nearly as bad as as I initially thought they were. And um, I'm a little nervous that after all this talk that, that the fan base is going to get uh, uh, kind of pumped up about what they should expect. And depending on how Nashville SC comes out, it, it could go the exact op- – uh, it could be the opposite. It could go the opposite way of what we're expecting. So what I want to do is kind of talk about best-case scenarios. And I'm not talking about like 10 nothing wins. I'm talking about best-case scenarios, uh, uh, best-case realistic 11 nothing. And worst case realistic <laughs> scenarios for Atlanta United going up against Nashville. Um, I just want to get your thoughts real quick on that. I think the issue first and foremost is that Nashville's a very bad barometer. Like if you're an MLS team and you want to kind of see where you stack up or how good you are, you can't really get any worse of a barometer than Nashville. I mean, maybe Dallas just because they've also not played a whole lot and they're playing horribly uh, right now as well. But it it stinks because like Atlanta United wasn't good at MLS's back either, but you know, they had beaten Nashville and, and they looked like, you know, before all of this started the, the, the delay and everything that they might be a team that, you know, could, could, could still be pretty good. And obviously MLS's back uh, took that in a whole different direction for Atlanta United. But um, you know, best case scenario is you come out and you look good. I mean, that's gotta be what it is right now, just because Atlanta United hasn't looked good probably since they played Nashville last. So it's just one of those things where I think the the team you're going up against, unfortunately, isn't going to tell you a whole lot about where you would stack up amongst the rest of the league or against the rest of the league's teams. But at least you can go out and, and, and take some semblance in the fact that if this Atlanta United team actually plays well and, and sort of plays with an identity that they were struggling with under Frank DeBoer that they didn't have, maybe Stephen Glass is able to imprint his style on this team quickly and they actually have a style have an identity then those are the things that you're going to take from this match and feel good about if you're an Atlanta United fan uh, you know that established identity actually playing well and of course putting the ball in the back of the net those are the things you need to see because you're not really going to be able to tell how good you could be against really the rest of the league from beating Nashville yeah and I think the goals is that that's why the goals are what's going to have to come because I think even even with these rosters as constructed, I think you'd expect Atlanta United to control the game and Nashville to sit off and sit behind the ball uh, so, so the goals are what's going to hopefully all the attributes all the things you mentioned Sam will come together great goals that's best breaking case down a bunker breaking down a bunker that's something because if Nashville is going to sit you know behind the ball and not really try to press and only really get in Atlanta United on the counterattack. 
that's been a big issue for Atlanta United, especially under Frank DeBoer, is an inability to break down teams that are bunkers. It'll be interesting to see if they come out maybe, maybe to try and rattle Atlanta United a little bit. Just, you know, being like first the- 10 minutes, run at it really good and then drop back. Maybe. Is it just because they're generally, I think, I mean, for this one moment in time, they're they're in a more stable place, that team True. and manager than Atlanta United. I don't expect that will happen uh, frequently in the year. I hope not in the years to come. But so that could lead you to your, you know, your worst case scenario, which I think is that uh, Atlanta United, I mean, Frank DeBoer is gone, but, you know, the personnel problems with the team still exist. So you could very well see very similar to what we saw at MLS's back where Atlanta United maybe have the ball for long. They're just not able to create chances uh, and, and they start conceding chances the other way. Uh, so worst case scenario, I think, is you see something very, very similar to what, we, what we've just seen. Uh, but hopefully you'll see the, that kind of freedom. And you've heard the players talk about this, right, about how they feel they can express themselves more in training and have a better connection with the manager. Hopefully that all translates to just that kind of freedom and creativity on the field that Sam speaks to. Well, if you look at uh, the first game Nashville had against uh, Dallas, that one one nothing win over Dallas, um, they still looked in the first half very disorganized. It, it honestly was – I stopped watching after the first half and then sporadically did, some, yeah, or did something some else. Those were some boring <laughs> Yeah, I did, I did something else while having the game on the background because I just couldn't take anymore. Um, I mean, you could really tell it had been five months since the last yeah, time either of these two time. teams played. I think Nashville came out in a 4-2-3-1. Um, so it, it's – they were very compact. You could tell that too. They, they didn't really take a lot of chances. Um, not a lot, not a whole number of chances for Nashville throughout the entire match. Um, it wasn't until David Akam comes in in the 82nd minute scores in the 86th. And, and what I think based off that first game now that if I had just watched that game, I thought oh, this is going to be a tough one for Atlanta. It wasn't until the second game where I saw that um, Nashville was willing to come out a little more. They had 21 shots, seven which were on target that was more than Dallas had um Dallas had one shot on target for for example um so it look it could be that Nashville decides to really bunker like they did in the in this first game now that was the first game back five months not having played looking to get a result looking to do something to to kind of um just really restart their season because they had again they hadn't they hadn't played yet uh three and a half hour weather delay on the second one Look, if I had just looked at the first one, I would have thought this is going to be a tough one for Atlanta United because it's, it's, it's again, breaking down that bunkering of uh, a team that bunkers. And Atlanta United, in their entire history, have never been able to do that. Not successfully. At the same at time, you know, they, they have 21 shots in the other matchup. So, I mean, right. so it's, can, which, which one of those two do you see? Because, I mean, I could see them. And it doesn't well, that, seem right that Nashville would come out and try to rattle Atlanta United. But they are maybe, maybe in a situation where they can try to do that. So and you, also you, Nashville, you, you got to take into account from Nashville, you know, just as I was talking about with the, you know, going against Nashville isn't a good barometer of where you stand. Well, Nashville beating Dallas also isn't a good barometer of where they stand because Dallas isn't any good and they were on a long break for a while. So it's kind of hard to read all the way around, really. Well, if, if you look at – I'm looking more at the way they played and the the differences in the way they played. If you look at the first game, and, and it's it's obvious that they were like, we're, we're unsure of ourselves. We don't know what we are yet. We don't know what this five months – uh, my five month off, five months off has done to us. And you look at the second game; they were much more confident, much more willing to um, go at Dallas. I think they realized that Dallas was in the similar situation Nashville was in terms of they didn't, in terms of not knowing what they were, not knowing how confident they were. Um, and, and let's be real, Atlanta United 
sure they've played three games, but let's be real. They, they, they weren't the best games of all, of all time. They weren't the best Atlanta United matches. Um, Atlanta United is still trying to figure themselves out. They're basically in the same position Dallas was in game two, maybe. Um, so it's, I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville came out and played. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if Nashville said, you know what? They haven't been able to do it in the past. Why, you know, why, why try to fix something that, that isn't broken? Let's, let's bunker. Let's, let's fall back. Let's make them dribble through a, a 10 man, uh, 10 men in, in, in their attacking and ha- their attacking third, you know, that to me seems like the sound strategy. That's what I would expect to see is a bunkering Nashville. But I, like you, Sam, I, I would expect the first 10 minutes to be very much Nashville trying to, to, you know, really play with Atlanta, really go at Atlanta, really try to find some way to get that early goal. And if not, then, you know, kind of concede that one, concede the first minutes, concede that, you know what, we, we, we tried, didn't happen, and then kind of dial it back a little bit and, and force Atlanta United to break down Nashville. Again, 60, or 64-36 possession in pretty much both games. Yeah, but I mean, that's, it, that's it, the it, one thing I, I know for sure. I feel, like, I, the ball. I feel like what, what, what it's going to look like is a lot of those games under Tata Martino where it was a lot of passing, side-to-side passing between the back line backline the wingers that's what I think it's going to feel like that's what I think it's going to look like um I I I don't think that the fans are going to come out of this game even if it's a win thinking that you know it it, nor should they that it's all figured out that that Stephen Glass at least for now is the answer that all of a sudden these players are playing with with a sense of freedom and 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 an attacking mindset I don't think you're going to see that in this game even in a win um, I think that if it's a win, if it's going to be an ugly one. Now, what that win means is that it's a different story. A win for Atlanta United right now is everything. If, you, if, if there's another loss on this team, you, you, you risk this team and the chemistry in this team just going further into this rabbit hole that it's, that's, that, that it's already in. You get a win here, and you start seeing kind of some light at the end of the tunnel. You start – you, you got a manager in Stephen Glass who has something to work with, who can build off of something – um, and there's a sense of hope within the players themselves as a, you know, a, a renewed sense of, uh, I don't know, there, there's a, there's a certain level of self-worth. Like, you know, I still have it as a soccer player when you, even when you're down this far, as far as Atlanta United is right now, there's a, you know, there's this, there's this need to kind of get back to, to, to winning ways. And that seems obvious, but a lot of times we forget that, you know, these guys are, or they can fall into these, into these you know, well, maybe I, maybe I'm not good enough. Or maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was or, or whatever. Maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were as a team. And so to dig out of that is, is, is tough. So just to get this win is massively important for Atlanta United, especially against a team like Nashville, who is probably going to be, will we say the easiest out of the three that they're in this group with? Oh, for sure. No doubt. Win over? You'd say that. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. What well, you're wait a minute though. I mean, Miami, well, might have better players, but you know, the, the, I don't know if it's. It, I, it I would say well that Nashville and Miami are pretty close, other than the fact that Miami's got Blaze Matweedy now, and if he can come in and help them out pretty quickly, then you know that might make them a better team than Nashville. But overall, I mean, it's, you're still dealing with two expansion sides that had their season very much torpedoed right in the beginning of it. So I think Miami and Nashville both going to be kind of fighting it in terms of, of figuring things out on the fly. I think to Eric's point a little bit, uh, you know, you got you kind of speak to the players feeling better. I mean, they've said that publicly. You know, I guess it's the one positive right now is you have kind of the new manager bounce a little bit where, you know, it's no secret that, you know, that, that the players were done with Frank DeBoer and that the environment was not good in Orlando. So even though they're coming off three losses, it, it seems like it's kind of a positive vibe, you know, in training and 
things like that. So if you win ugly, whatever, that's pretty critical because you don't want the team to start thinking the you know that what happened in Orlando might might repeat itself because this is still the same players no matter how you look at it. So that makes this result important, I think, in the short term in terms of getting momentum, putting MLS's back behind behind the side and 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 preparing for Miami and Orlando. Uh, how how they get to that win is going to be interesting. I mean, Sam, you're thinking, hopefully they can go out there and play beautiful football. But in the end, well, I'm hoping. Yeah, in the end, to maintain that environment, you're just gonna have to win however you can. And Fernando Mesa spoke on this thing. Look, if we have to win ugly, you know, that's something that we're gonna have to be a team that, to do that. I don't know if he's prepared to do it or not, but I think the result is important to maintain that locker room environment that Eric kind of spoke on. I wanted to talk about a little bit of what. Uh, uh... Brad Guzan said in reference to Stephen Glass and, and what he's done so far. This is from the Dirty South Soccer um, article discussing the issue. Glass has met with every player on Atlanta United's roster t- uh, to talk one-on-one about what they were feeling individually and how they felt uh, the team could improve. And this is specifically what Brad Guzan uh, said. The conversations were very good from a player standpoint to speak to him and uh, kind of give him insight into how we felt as a group. Um, with that being said, I'm sure they're, uh, they're beneficial for him in terms of understanding where guys are individually. It was no secret to see the performances we put together down in Orlando that it wasn't good enough. So him that uh, him then being named interim manager, um, the managerial position is a, is a massive job in terms of what it entails, the city you represent, the club you represent, the bar that we have set for ourselves. So the conversations uh, was him doing his due diligence in, in trying to make sure that we can get off to a good start. So uh, apparently this is not nothing that Frank DeBoer ever did or nothing even close to what Frank DeBoer ever did, at least on an indiv- individual level. And I'm, I'm sure that when he talks to guys like Pity, when he talks to guys like Barco, who – Specifically, a guy like Barco, who is everything Atlanta United wants in in the, in the type of players it brings to Atlanta, um, what they're feeling and and what their goals are and, and how they want to you know eventually you know, improve not only as a club but as a player and and eventually move on to to bigger better things. Being able to get their perspective on a one one on one basis on on in on in you know on that kind of level, I think is huge, especially for a guy like Stephen Glass. Um, you'd expect the next guy whoever it is to be the kind of manager that does the same thing, but to, to have someone like that um, to kind of fill the gap until next year, presumably um, it is huge because you're going to get that sense. He's going to, he's going to find a way that could, I think that's the one thing that I feel like Frank DeBoer was missing with everyone is that one-to-one connection. You never thought that he was really, you know, buddy, buddy with one specific player, not like, uh, you know, Tata Any was Miguel. Player. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, Tata had Miguel. Tata had had basically all the Hispanic players that he was buddy buddy with. You know, him and Michael Parkhurst. Um, you know, you had that sense that they had this relationship that was that was continuing. I mean, look in the media, the right? Now they, they two week or two years. They say glassy, right? You heard it in the media say glassy, just like you heard them say Tata. Like clearly, in those the case of those two managers, there was a personal relationship there. Yeah. You know, they they have you know they have uh, nicknames basically. You know, there there was nothing like that with Frank DeBoer yeah and plus this is nice because you know that uh you know the the words used to describe the guy and you know they haven't dealt with him a super long time but you know that word intense you you like that because you know Frank DeBoer and Tata Martino weren't really intense I mean both of those guys were a lot of things but I don't think that's a word you would use so maybe a little bit of a change of pace and, and and a different message and a different way of delivering that message we'll kind of wake these players up a little bit and, and, you know, they, they kind of buy in early on. It's like you were saying, Josh, you know, you get that new manager bump. And I mean, 
you know, unfortunately, there have been a lot of those over the years that didn't work out. I think, uh, you know, going back to like uh, EPL, like Brendan Rodgers was like the next big thing uh, in, in management. Like, the, you know, he was uh, the manager of the Welsh Barcelona uh, there for a little while. And uh, what happened there? You know, now he's kind of a joke. So, unfortunately, that can happen with that new manager bump where it's kind of a, a false start and then it go downhill. Hopefully that doesn't happen with Glass, although the big difference here is that, you know, nobody's expecting this guy to stick around for a long time. So, I think that – honestly works to his advantage because, you know, nobody's really got high expectations here and then he's sort of in this caretaker role. So he can take a lot more risks. Um, you know, he can do things that probably other managers wouldn't do with this squad just because, you know, you, it may not be best in the long term, but that's not really Steven Glass's concern. So he can kind of go out there, take some chances, maybe do some things other managers, like I just said, wouldn't do and hopefully uh, get this team in the short term some wins here as they uh, restart the season. I feel like – I don't know that I'd personally say that the expectations aren't high. Maybe not high in the sense of results, um, but I think that – even that, I would say that the expectations are still pretty high for – Well, it's Atlanta for United. They're always going to be a certain level of right. expectation. What I mean is that that there's a there's a sense that he he's – think of him almost like as <laughs> – as the union organizer who's just going from, from the players to management and, and trying to present the unified well, – not even that because it's – Unions. Eric's going – No, no, no. no. It's, uh. not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not that. It's, he, he's, his job right now is to sort of right the ship. But as an interim manager, how do you do that? And, and how, how do you get the best out of your players for the time being? Because normally interim managers traditionally don't have a, uh, a huge success. I'm trying to think who was the – was it Seattle? Well, in college football, Dabo Swinney started as an interim manager. Sorry, I had to throw my college football accent in there, too. Well, if you look I'm, at uh, Brian Schmetzer, was, was Schmetzer was it, an interim? I for, think he uh, was. Think and they ended yeah, up going right. to MLS Cup. Whatever. The point is, traditionally – But he's clearly one in a million, I mean. Right. Traditionally, those aren't, those aren't – that's not the way it works. Traditionally, it's just kind of like, all right, you're, you're going to be the manager, quote-unquote, until we can find someone – um, to, you know, to fill the shoes for real, but with, with, uh, with Steven glass, it's, it's more, his job is to write the chemistry ship, I guess, or, or write the, the, the ship, the, uh, the mood ship, if you will get everything back to the point where, you know, everyone's at least happy to be in Atlanta. Everyone's at least happy to be playing soccer for, for, you know, for the stripes, however you want to phrase it, however you want to kind of mold that, that, that sentiment, you want to create that kind of environment. That's not as, uh, we'll call it toxic under as, as it was under Frank DeBoer. Look at the way that LGP talked about um, his comments on Frank DeBoer when the subject came up in an interview he was in. He, he mentioned it was a little hard for him to talk about Frank DeBoer being let go. Um, this is LGP talking. I said a year ago when I spoke to the media at uh, the All-Star game that a lot has changed on this team. We were not comfortable. We don't like it as players. We never de developed that chemistry that you need with a coach. In those two years, I never saw that type of chemistry that we had with Tata, for example. I think it's good for Atlanta, the, the change to Stephen Glass now. It's a new change. It's a new start. I wish them the best. So it's, it's in that same interview who said, by the way, that he wouldn't celebrate if he were to score against Atlanta United. Um, that was so disingenuous. I'm sorry, man. I read those That he won't score? No, 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 no. Oh, that he won't celebrate? In general. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the celebrate. I'm just saying in general. It's like all that stuff about, like, you know, being difficult, like you were saying, to speak or whatever. And then he goes on and basically says, you know, I was right. If you read between the lines, that's essentially what he was saying there. So it's almost like, 
I mean, I just don't appreciate a player who wasn't, wasn't you know, sort of sort of forced his way out in a sense. That, like he didn't want to be here anymore, and then he's going back. And you know, obviously, he was asked the question, so he, has to he didn't. Answer he it. didn't force himself out. Yeah. Okay. He didn't force himself out, but he, he didn't, didn't want he didn't to even, be playing for Frank DeBoer either. That's so, not what he like, said. Nor, nor is that what what basically anyone around him thought, because apparently he didn't know he was getting he was he was being moved until he was actually moved until after the fact. Yeah, but it's when he didn't get along with Boer. I, I don't no, know. No, he didn't true. want I'm to not, be playing for that manager, not, so maybe I'm he didn't saying. force himself out. But it's a situation that he didn't want to be in. He didn't want to leave Atlanta. Those are his words. The, I think he was fine leaving Atlanta wait, with Frank the, DeBoer still being in charge. The point, the you no, know, he still said whatever. The point is, he he. These are the these are the things that Frank or that Stephen Glass is now doing that make make this a a uh, a positive change for Atlanta United. That make this something that this is why the 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 expectations I think are are high on Stephen Glass because it's it's on him now to kind of write this this chemistry that that they didn't have under Frank DeBoer. Yeah, I mean the 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 chemistry obviously is something that that Frank DeBoer, or excuse me, that that uh, LGP can speak to because he was obviously a part of it. So I think that when you have this, the, you know, the new manager coming out, I don't know if like the team is going to like rally around Stephen Glass. I mean that that's for us to to see. That that that's to be seen. It hasn't you know obviously happened yet, but I think even like taking Glass completely out of this, like if you're an Atlanta United player right now some sense of pride has to like kick in here that, you know, you guys were playing like crap at MLS's back. Your manager got fired, regardless if you like the guy or not, when your manager gets fired, it's because the team wasn't playing well. So I would think that, you know, regardless of like Steven glass and like team chemistry, the, the team needs to like rally around themselves and like build their own kind of chemistry, you know, again, regardless of the manager or not, you know, and, yeah, I guess. and hopefully they play well and, and that develops because, you know, if Stephen Glass is going to be here long term, it's not about building chemistry with him as the manager. It's about just having that in general as a team. And I think all the players, I mean, even individually, you know, if you look at a Barco or a PT, you know, they want to get their value up. You know, the club wants them to get their value up as players too. So there's a lot. I mean, there's there are a lot of things, uh, a lot of reasons for for the team to want to play better. But that's the real question, right? I mean, because we sit here and talk about chemistry and all that, they haven't played and you know, in so long, and there's a new manager, but. It's, it's the same group of players, and I don't – I mean, I would, I, would, I would hope that they play with a little more freedom, but I just don't know what type of results that's going to yield. It's not exactly the same group of players, though. I mean, you do have – I mean, there are some additions yeah, you do add, well, that's that we true. didn't have in MLS's back. We should talk about Kubo Torres. I mean, that was – we talked about it the whole tournament, right, was you don't have a proper number nine, and he's at least somebody that has scored goals in MLS before that can fill that role and, and allow Barco and PT to slide into those roles where – they're more comfortable as playmakers and not so much relied on to score goals. You've also got Jurgen Dam, who could be a difference yeah. maker depending on how that kind of rolls out. Giving you uh, some pace. Yeah, I, 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 I hope that we see – I mean, I'll say the same thing about Jurgen Dam. Against Nashville specifically, if Nashville decides to sit back – then he's going to be about as useful as Tito was when it came to teams. That there, there it is. There we go. Time. But I need a bell. I need like a bell. I wouldn't. I would expect Kubo Torres to start. I, I don't know. It all, it all depends on 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 how their training has gone so far. And how I'm not gonna put Williams up top. Then I gonna let him start. No, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't expect. <laughs> I wouldn't expect him to to start. I wouldn't. I would expect him to play at some point, but maybe not start. 
Um, JJ Williams. And then it just depends on like, He's honestly, not playing. I, outside of that is just the, the, the midfield and how that goes and, and what kind of relationships you decide to, to try midfield to is huge. form in the midfield, because that, that breaking down a team like Nashville, especially if they sit back is going to be massive in the midfield. You can't really do it over the air. You can't really do it on, uh, on, well, I mean, you don't really have anyone at the moment. Maybe Kubo Torres decides to figures it out very early on, but you don't have anyone to, to really cross into if that's the game plan you decide to go with. But I, that, that those pairings in the midfield, that, that kind of, we have to provide balance or quads that you got to find a way to, to create. I, I always thought Jose was going to be the answer, at least at the top of that, of that midfield, that attacking midfield role. Yeah. Include Heinemann and, and then either Lorenowitz or Remetti, whichever one you want um, in there. And I thought that would be kind of the, the, the recipe for, for a good midfield, but I'm, even in MLS back, we still yet to see any consistency in the midfield, which was really concerning to me, which is why I didn't really think that Frank DeBoer was taking this thing seriously because of all the craziness that was going on in the starting 11. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, the play of uh, Joseto there because he's a guy who, like, quite frankly, the, the play at MLS is back, I didn't see anything. Like out of that guy, like obviously very slow. I think he looked slow. I, I think he's a faster player than how he looked, but just slow to the ball, slow to reacting to situations. So is that just a result of the rest of the team playing like crap and just everybody was playing bad? Or is this a guy who, you know, might not be what we thought he was? Hopefully that's not the case because I want him to be a good player and Atlanta United needs him to be a good player. But uh, just from what you saw at MLS is back, uh, the, if he plays like that, he's not the answer. I, there's no way we've seen enough from him. Of course, but that's the so, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, haven't yeah. seen enough yet. I'm just saying if that's the case, then you, you might have uh, brought in a lemon, so to speak. I will say, I will say that if there's a, a concerted effort to play a little more free, play a little more attacking, I'm going to backtrack on the pity is done talk what? And, and give him another chance. Oh, Eric, give and give him another chance. chance. Oh, I'm okay. not – look, I'm not saying that – Those you second know, chances there you have it. I'm out. I'm giving him another chance. Where... He's got another chance to prove that that he's not this bum of a player that we paid a this ridiculous bum, oh, amount, of, sneak money, that in there, amount of money. Okay. <laughs> because, look, if, if, if all of a sudden Lady and I can play more free and it's a different style of play and it's more conducive to what, what Pity likes and what Pity wants and Pity starts performing well, then clearly it was all about Frank DeBoer and all about uh, the, the tactics under Frank DeBoer. But if he's the same player, and look, I, I, I'm willing to give him a second chance, but I will say I still think that we're not going to see much out of him. I still think that he is the player that he is. He, he's not great technically with the ball at his feet. Um, he doesn't make good decisions uh, with the ball at his feet. He doesn't make good decisions uh, on, with the ball off his feet. Nothing, I, I don't think he's a very good player. I think he was a product of, of a good system around him at River, and that didn't translate to Atlanta United. But I am willing to give him another chance to prove me wrong on in that regard. At the same time, though, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, God, we've just there's been no matches, so we just have to talk about PT every week I, right. right now. But I mean, <laughs> the the it's, it's the like, low hanging fruit. At the same man. time, maybe he just wasn't the player that we thought he was. You know, that he's more of a tricky type player that tries things, but he's he's not a consistent. Uh, game changer he's someone who See, i'll can't say this though i think he he's a player that can be he has to be in the exact 
right system for him. That's what he had. That's what he had at River. He had a, a team that was built to bring out his strengths, and he doesn't. He didn't have that in Atlanta. He was asked to do things that. I'm not going to say that he – well, I will say that he wasn't comfortable with, and he wasn't comfortable with him because flat out he just didn't want to do them. And I'm talking about tracking back. I'm talking about having more of a sort of responsibility as opposed to being that free-form, creative-type player that he really wants to be and not really have to do anything. That might work in South America, but, you know, it doesn't really work in a league like MLS where, you know, it's a, it's a lot more physical – and it just, it's just uh, he needs to be a player that's willing to take more responsibility yeah. and not just kind of be that free-for-all Rome guy because that, that doesn't really work unless, you know, you have a system that's built around you perfectly. Well, I think the big part of that is, you know, if you have players that want to roam around in the attacking half is you have to have a solid midfield to provide yep. that balance, right? And how many times uh, did we see Atlanta United, uh, you know, get caught or give the ball away trying to – back and the result of that is what you say Sam is PT in a situation where he's not comfortable he has to come all the way back to get on the ball you know same with Barco who's maybe a little more comfortable doing that but still you want to have him on the ball closer to the goal so to me I mean you guys mentioned Joseto and there are so many mysteries in this midfield and I think the midfield is almost going to determine whether we see that good side or bad side of PT and same for Barco and maybe even same for Kubo Torres was is what you know what are you going to get you assume it's going to be a three-man midfield as opposed to two uh that we saw in orlando but you know their performance is going to really i think determine how much attacking success you have and what josh was just saying is very important and it's the reason the biggest and most important reason why losing nagby hurt you so badly like because you're basically taking his role and dividing it up into two sets of players. The the upfront guys, Barco and Pity, you're making them come back a little more to get to the ball. And then the the, the number six guys, so to speak, uh, your Hindmans uh, and and guys like Rometty, Lorena, whoever, they have more responsibility as well. Whereas like, especially like a Lorenowitz and Rometty may want to kind of play a little even further back in the midfield. They even have to go a little bit more forward to kind of bridge that, that sort of gap. So not having Nagby really has affected two different levels of your team and then throwing more responsibility on those players that either don't want that responsibility or just can't really handle it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, I think an interesting, you know, that, you know, I think you'll see Emerson Heinemann trying to fill that kind of Nagby role uh, in a way. Uh, and, but, you know, he's not that player. So, you know, it was amazing. Like you said, Sam, Nagby was performing the role of multiple players in some ways come all the way to the defensive third and carry the ball into the attacking third. You know, now Atlanta United is trying to find ways to do that with a couple guys, whether it be Hindman, finding Barco, finding PT, or some combination of that. So, uh, you know, a lot of questions going forward, and it's going to start with how that midfield provides balance, both in attack and defense as well. Um, so I think one of the things that I, I'm really looking forward to is finding a way for Orlando City to lose to Atlanta in this year where Atlanta United – uh, is struggling, especially in MLS's back. Atlanta United's got the game against Nashville. That's on Saturday, uh, the 22nd, 7 o'clock. They face Inter-Miami on Wednesday, and then the following Saturday it would be the game against Orlando City. How glorious would it be if somehow Atlanta United figures it out against Nashville, becomes even more free-flowing and more attacking against Inter-Miami, 
and then finds a way somehow out of their ass to just absolutely give Orlando City the middle finger, walk away with a win. Like a 3-0 win. <laughs> yeah, just not the team you were expecting that was an MLS back tournament. You know, you're not looking at that team anymore. You're looking at a completely different team. And uh, But what about this, Eric? What about if you play terrible in these first two matches against Nashville and Miami? Everyone's taking a dump on Atlanta United, and then you beat Orlando anyway. That would be a lot of fun, too. I do. Well, it I, would look, be fun. It wouldn't be as fun. Look, I say well, – yeah, I don't – but but that, but that would be more misery for Orlando – if, if you're going to look at the season long-term and say, I don't think this is MLS Cup winning year. <laughs> at the same time, you could inflict the most possible misery to Orlando by actually being bad and still be. Just don't lose to them. That's the thing. Just don't lose. That streak, even if you don't beat them, as long as you get the draw, just don't we'll, lose. We'll deal with them next week. It's been, a, it's been a while since we had an Orlando hate week. That'll be, a, it'll be fun. Also, I just have a quick question. DMD soccer, for whatever reason, ESPN and Google – have come up with for the Nashville it's DMD soccer as opposed to Nashville SC what I have no idea what that is I didn't (laughs) look that up but I saw it a few times and I was like what is DMD DMD soccer who knows what do you you mean it's like if you if you look if you look up if you look up at Lane United schedule and look through the schedule it says DMD soccer as opposed to Nashville Hmm. I didn't know what that was but interesting another another piece of a Newsworthy notes is uh, Lady United and Orlando City's game on September 5th, 8 p.m. national broadcast. Now, you know, the whole world can see Orlando lose. Oh, yeah. I love uh, it. Give us the spotlight. Big shout out to Lucid FC once again. Make sure you check them out, lucidfc.us. Uh, make sure you're checking out their, their, their stuff. Um, pants, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies. Go check out their, their masks that are pretty cool. Um, you guys want to finish on anything else? You guys any final thoughts? No, I'm just, I, you know, I don't know what to expect this weekend. This is fun. You know, it almost feels like going back to 2017, the first match. But if, we'll see nothing, what happens. We'll talk next week. If nothing else, I just want to see a, a, a more energetic, a more enthused Atlanta United. Even if they don't get the win. I don't really expect them to get the win. But if, even if they don't, I would just want to see a, a just a better performance overall. I just want to end on the fact that uh, Fuera Piojo was trending in Mexico on Twitter. So, for Atlanta United manager watch, how awesome would Miguel Herrera be? I mean, I know this is speculation for way down the road. I just wanted to throw it out there here at the end. If they want to fire him, Atlanta United would gladly take Miguel Herrera. I don't know if every fan would be on board I'll with take, it, hey, but I'll it take would the certainly memes. be fun. I'll take the memes. No doubt. I will 100% take the memes. All right, uh, that is it for us. Until next time, see you later, Atlanta. Later.